Hello and welcome to Abemus Papam, episode 207, Callistus III. Dear brothers and sisters, Annuncio Vobis. Annuncio Vobis. Annuncio Vobis Gaudium Magnum. Gaudium Magnum. Gaudium Magnum. Abemus Papam. Today's Pope was born on December 31st, 1378, just outside of Valencia, Spain, to a lesser-known branch of a noble Spanish family called the Borgias. And yes, it's that Borgia family. If you've ever heard of a famous papal family, this is the one you've heard of. Now, luckily for us, at this point of history, they were just virtuous minor nobles with a particularly pious son. And that pious son was named Alonso de Borgia. And as a young man, he studied law at the University of Leida in Catalonia, Spain. After completing his studies, he taught canon and civil law at the same university, and he was noticed by the bishop Pedro de Luna, who would later become the Avignon anti-pope Benedict XIII. He was named a canon of the cathedral there and ordained a priest. Now, there's this cool story that when Alonso was a young priest, the great Dominican saint and preacher, St. Vincent Ferrer, came to Valencia and began a public sermon to a large crowd. During this time, he spotted Alonso in the crowd, just a young priest intrigued by this great preacher, as anyone might be when this saint comes to town. Turning towards him, he said, My son, I congratulate you. Remember that you are called to one day be the ornament of your country and your family. You will be invested with the highest dignity that can fall to the lot of man. I myself, after my death, shall be the object of your special honor. Endeavor to persevere in your virtuous course of life. Now, needless to say, the young Alonso was pretty touched by the seeming prophecy from a living saint, and so much so that, caught up in the excitement, he told a bunch of people what St. Vincent Ferrer said, and that prophecy, as we will see, proved true. In 1415, Father Alonso was chosen to be a delegate to the Council of Constance from his diocese, but when the King of Aragon, Alfonso V, opposed the council, Father Alfonso chose not to go. Instead, he caught the attention of the king himself and entered into his service as an advisor and diplomat. In that regard, he helped negotiate between the new Pope Martin V and the King of Aragon to help consolidate the unity of the church. If you remember, Spain was probably the most steadfast of the supporters of the Avignon antipopes towards the end. It was probably Alonso's deep desire for church unity and his influence with the king, which tipped the scales in favor of supporting Martin V and really ending the schism. He was also tasked with another service to the church, Unity, and was sent with just one other person to negotiate with the Avignon anti-pope Clement VIII to get him to abdicate in favor of Martin V. As a reward for his tremendous service for church unity, Martin V appointed Alonso Bishop of Valencia in 1429. Now, as a bishop, he continued both as a loyal advisor to the king, but also as a deeply pious lover of the church. When the king wanted to send him to the rogue ecumenical council of Basel, he refused because it was too antagonist to Pope Eugene IV. He did, however, lead a delegation to the council of Florence, where he met for the first time some of the great Roman cardinals and began to be recognized by the papal court. King Alfonso was by this time now the king of Naples and Sicily as well as Aragon, and as part of that process had been fighting against Eugene IV's picked successor in Naples. Bishop Alonso worked hard to reconcile the king and the pope, and after succeeding to bring peace between them with the Treaty of Terracina, he was named the Cardinal Priest of Santi Quattro Coronati in 1443. Once he was named a cardinal, Alonso lived a fairly quiet life in Rome. He was known to be pious, modest, uh, without ambition and without ostentation. He was intelligent and a moral man. The one negative that people in Rome saw against him was that he was surrounded himself with his family and other Spaniards, which bred resentment. 
When Nicholas V died in 1455, the cardinals were deadlocked between two factions of the Orsini and the Colonna. Neither could command the necessary majority, and when they entered the conclave on the afternoon of Good Friday, 1455, um, they weren't able to come to some sort of agreement, and so the cardinals began to look for a compromise. At first, they settled on Cardinal Bessarion, who, if you remember, was one of the Greek scholars who unified the church at the Council of Florence. But apparently his election was blocked by a cardinal who was concerned that someone who was only so recently Catholic and who was a Greek and who had a Greek beard would become pope. So they looked elsewhere and eventually decided to pick someone who was old as a compromise. Cardinal Alonso de Borgia was a perfect choice. He was old, modest, and not objectionable to anyone. He was elected April 8, 1455, and upon his election, he took the name Callistus III. He promised two things off the bat. He would devo devote himself to the crusade against the Turks to help free Constantinople, which had fallen to the Ottomans two years before in 1453, and he promised to canonize the holy priest he had met in Valencia years before. On June 29, 1455, he accomplished the second goal, naming St. Vincent Ferrer a saint. His zeal for the crusade meant that he sent papal envoys across Europe to preach to every European nation. But for the most part, the kings of Europe did not respond. The threat, however, was real. Now that the Byzantine Emperor was gone, the Ottoman Turks turned their attention toward Eastern Europe, and news arrived in Hungary in 1455 that the Ottomans would be invading there next. With the support of one of Callistus' cardinals and the preacher, St. John of Capistrano, but with not much more support than that materially, the Hungarian noble John Hyundai began raising an army to fend off, uh, to fend off the, the Turks. Oh, and a little note before we move on. Before John Hyundai headed south to fight the Ottomans, he had to help out a fellow Eastern European noble, a certain Vlad Dracul, who we commonly call today Dracula. So just a little aside, but back to the main story. John Hyundai's forces moved to Belgrade, which is now in Serbia, on Hungary's southern border, along with peasants stirred by St. John of Capistrano's preaching. John Hyundai's main force followed behind them, they smashed the Ottoman forces at Belgrade, halting their advance for a time in Eastern Europe. Throughout the siege and battle at Belgrade, St. John of Capistrano stood on the tower of the city, holding the cross blessed by the Pope and praying for victory. But their victory was not able to be followed up. The Pope was so excited, hoping that this would be the first spark of a freeing of the East from the Ottoman rule, but the will wasn't there to continue. No other nation was willing to pledge troops to the crusade. And shortly after the battle, St. John of Capistrano and John Hyundai died when disease swept through their camp. A contemporary chronicler described John Hyundai's death as follows. When he was ill, they say that he forbade the body of our Lord to be brought to him, declaring that it was unworthy for a king to enter the house of a servant. Although his strength was failing, he ordered himself to be carried out to church, where he made his confession in Christian way, received the divine Eucharist, and surrendered his soul to God in the arms of the priests fortunate soul to have arrived at heaven as both herald and author of the heroic action at Belgrade. Pope Callistus spent a lot of money trying to outfit a Christian fleet to fight the Ottomans, but despite the amount spent, very little was accomplished. And his own king, Alfonso of Aragon in Naples, would do nothing to help him despite repeated pleas from the Pope. Alfonso turned against the Pope and used his military to try and conquer central Italy, a move which prompted swift backlash from his former advisor. The tensions grew between them to the point that Pope Callistus concluded one message to his former mentor as, His Majesty should be aware that the Pope can depose kings. To which Alfonso replied, Let His Holiness know that the king, if he wishes, can find a way to depose the Pope. Alfonso began supporting the Orsini family against the Pope, hoping to cause more trouble for the Holy See and gain the Spanish Pope caught up in the intricacies of Roman family politics. This would lead to one of the more unfortunate lasting legacies of his papacy, which is 
the rise of the Borgia family in general in Rome. With no natural allies in Rome because of the Spanish heritage and the conflicting fighting between different papal uh, Roman families, the Pope had to rely only on his immediate family for support and counsel, which meant the creation of cardinals from among his nephews and the entrusting of key political positions to trusted family members. Naturally, this sparked intrigue and resistance from the Italians, especially from the powerful Roman families. Pope Callistus created two of his nephews cardinals in September of 1456, including one who will be infamous in the future Cardinal Rodrigo de Borgia, the future Pope Alexander VI. Even as a cardinal, however, Rodrigo had a reputation for immorality and indolence. Now, another source of tension was Callistus's own pious frugality. He cut expenses way down in the papal household in order to save money for the church and the crusade. Now, the people of Rome, who had benefited from the liberality and the desire for learning and cultural expansion of Nicholas V, did not like this very practical and prudent Spaniard. His pontific, however, was short. Even though he was so vigorous in his government of the church, Callistus was still an old man. In July of 1458, it was clear that he was slowing down and he suffered from several illnesses. The illnesses were an excuse for the Italians to try and recover some of their power from the Spaniards that um, Callistus had brought with him to the papacy, and the Orsinis especially capitalized on it. And Pope Callistus finally passed away on August 6th, 1458. He was buried in St. Peter's Basilica, and he was succeeded by an Italian pope, Pope Pius II. But he's a pope who came to us by a strange road, and we will talk about that next week. Thank you for listening to How Bain Was Popping. You can check out the rest of the Catholic Link podcast at catholiclink.org. You can also find us on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Thank you, and God bless you. <laughs>